And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 146 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.08 a.m. on June 9th, 2019. Join me for episode 146. I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Happy Tony's Day. Cody Derricks. Happy Tony's Day. Nicole Ackman. Happy Tony's Sunday. Dan Bayer. Welcome, everyone, to this very special Tony-centric episode of Next Best Picture <laughs> Podcast. And Casey Lee Clark. All the Broadway babes are here. <laughs> but just to be clear, uh, despite what everyone, excluding myself, has just said, we are not going to be talking about the Tonys on the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are not! We have the Next Best Theater Podcast for that sort of thing, where all of you, uh, minus Dan, uh, he was there in spirit, graciously, beautifully, wonderfully did a podcast delivering the Tony predictions, and I cannot wait for the show tonight. I can't wait for you all to watch it, to see your reaction. So for everyone that isn't following these very wonderful people on Twitter, please do so to get their reactions to the Tony Awards, and also be sure to listen to the Next Best Theater podcast for their immediate reactions afterwards. And to bridge the gap between Oscars and Tonys, if you want to watch tonight, Oscar people, I think we may be getting a teaser trailer for Cats. That would be really exciting. I think James Corden hosting the Tonys, he's in Cats, I think that's the perfect time to drop it. It wouldn't be surprising. We'll see what happens. I mean, it could be something very, very tiny with no footage, kind of like when they did The Irishman during the Oscars. Speaking of Oscars, though, this week's episode is a big one for us because we are almost halfway through the year, so it is time. It's time, as Mark Ruffalo (laughs) says in Spotlight. (laughs) For us to finally dive deep into our first Oscar predictions of the season. We typically do not do year in advance Oscar predictions. We usually hold off and wait a little while, see where things look like they're heading. And great timing too, because this week we got three really fantastic trailers to talk about for Loose, Ad Astra, and Ford v. Ferrari. Three films that we will be talking a little bit about throughout this podcast as well. But before we get into all all of the Oscar talk. Let me just go around the room really quick. Let's ask everyone, what did you all see this week? We'll start off with Michael. Oh, Matt, remember we had such a good week last week and I told you I saw three things. You're such a bad movie buff. You know that? Remember that? <laughs> yeah, well, I was... I fell back into my normal pattern of zero. Ah, you disappoint me. But that's okay. I saw some good television, though. Not movies. I exactly. Saw you balance it out. Yeah. What did I watch? I've been watching, I've been binging uh, Schitt's Creek, the pop series from Canada. Oh, oh yeah. And so I'm only on season two. I, this is a show where for the last four or five years, people have been saying, Michael, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. I'm like, I have so many other shows. I don't have time to watch a show. Even though it's great, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, I don't have time to fit it in. Well, now that I had time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start this. And it is as hilarious as it's advertised. It's so easy to fly through. It's great. It's, it's so much fun. I love that yes. show. 
So that's great. And then I started a Comedy Central series that I've heard very good things about. Uh, and it's pretty funny. It's like, I would call it the spiritual sequel to Difficult People, and it's called The Other Two. Oh, that one's great, too. Oh, yeah. I love The Other Two. Uh, yeah, it's very funny. It's like that. Uh, it's not Billy Eichner, obviously, but it's in that same style of like the pop culture references. It's very and, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very funny show. Anyone can get on board with that one as well. Okay. All right. Nicole, what about you? Okay. So since I've been on the podcast last, I also saw Booksmart and Rocketman, both of which I loved. Mm-hmm. But in the past week, I um, I was out uh, in Denver on business, which meant that I got movies on my flights there and back. So I finally watched At Eternity's Gate, which I loved. Um, I kind of ended up missing it while it was in theaters last year, but it's very much like a me film. Um, and I thought it was fantastic. I watched the Han Solo movie, yes, um, which wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Not bad. It's perfectly enjoyable. It's just unremarkable is all I would say. Yeah. I think the issue with it is that it's not quite up to the standard of filmmaking that Star Wars movies typically are. But for that genre, like, I don't think it's bad at all. And Donald Glover is so charming huh. that it was worth it. Um, and then I watched Always Be My Maybe, of course, because I love a Netflix rom-com. Um, highly recommend it. Like, great to see diverse rom-coms being made. Um, and it's also legitimately just incredibly funny. Um, and then the last thing that I watched was A Simple Favor. Uh, yes. Incredible. Did you like it? I loved it. Like, the costumes in that movie, Blake Lively is incredible. And also, like, let's be honest, Anna Kendrick's character (laughs) is maybe now one of the, like, top ten characters I've ever related to in anything. (laughs) Yeah. I I know so many people like that movie. I just sort of missed the boat with it. I think you should give it another watch, Blake Lively is so brilliant. She gave my straight-up favorite performance of last year, period. Yeah. And honestly, it was robbed of a costume nomination at the Oscars. Agreed. On I will that. never understand. I don't know how Blake didn't get nominated at the Golden Globes. Like, no, it's everyone in that movie is so good and it's so interesting and actually like fairly original. Like there were twists I didn't expect. Um, so, yeah, I had a really good week in movies. Good. Good. Glad to hear it. Nicole, did you know, did you know that Paul Feig, the director of that and Rides made so many other great things, is doing a Christmas comedy this year with Emma Thompson? Wait, incredible. I did not know that. <laughs> yes. And Anna well, Kendrick is in it as well, I think. I love Anna Kendrick, like unapologetically. So I might have a crush on her. More mm-hmm. to discuss later. <laughs> oh, oh I'm sorry. It's not Anna Kendrick. This is great. It's called Last Christmas. It's coming out this November, starring Amelia Clark, Henry Golding. Michelle Yeoh and Emma Thompson. Wait, that's incredible. Michelle Yeoh and Emma Thompson oh, in the same and movie? Patty <gasps> oh my God. All the gays will be there opening night. And it's set in London, Nicole. So this is my new favorite Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> Cody? Ah! Ah! Rocket Man and Booksmart, they're both great. The end. <laughs> All right, Dan, what about you? Um, I saw. Wait, what did, well, as listeners of the podcast know, I saw Dark Phoenix. Um, and you was were the not, one. I was not at all mad about it. I was the one, um, along with Matt and Josh Parham. <laughs> we were the brave souls who sacrificed everything for the greater good. <laughs> um, and then yesterday, I finally saw Rocket Man. And, like, Taron Edgerton is so good. <laughs> He's so good. Taron Edgerton is so good, you guys. 
Which, by the way, I want to publicly apologize. I received a comment on the podcast. I kept calling him Taron Egerton, and I understand now that that is totally incorrect, and it is Edgerton. Oh, I, so I want to just publicly say that I apologize for butchering his name at least 50 times on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he is so good. Um, and like I appreciate that the movie, the movie to me really felt like a stage musical that had been adapted to screen. Yeah. Which I, you know, obviously loved because I'm a huge musical guy. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> I do not know what the fuck Bryce Dallas Howard was up to in this No movie. idea. <laughs> well, I thought she was pretty good, actually. She didn't age for two thirds of the movie. And that's, I am convinced so that Michael is a secret Bryce Dallas Howard uh, stan because I feel like Michael, what was the movie? Give me a second here. Jurassic World. God. I remember oh, Jurassic World, Peach Dragon. Like you, you, you tend to praise her in almost everything. And I'm wondering what's the angle here. She deserved an Oscar nomination for the help. She deserved one for the village. <laughs> And I like Hereafter. That's one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies. Oh my god, I really am a Bryce Dallas Howard fan. <laughs> you learn something new every day. <laughs> wow. Even when you've been working with these people for three years, you still <laughs> learn things about them. <laughs> I just like she was in a completely different movie from everyone else in Rocket Man. She was in, I don't know, some camp. <laughs> it was just like, strange casting. Like, yeah. British mom. They picked Bryce Dallas Howard. Which, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm not sure what she was going for. I'm kind of fascinated by it. Like yeah. I'm fascinated by the fact that she made that choice in her characterization. <laughs> but I don't think it worked. Not even the accent? You didn't think that was decent? I know the accent was fine, but it's just like the whole entire way she played it, she was like playing to the back of the house. And girl, you do not need to do that on film. I mean, in an Elton John musical, though, of all movies, maybe not the worst choice. <laughs> no, choice. <laughs> but when you compare her with everyone else, it's a completely different style of acting. Casey Lee Clark, what about you? Um, yeah, I watched a bunch of stuff at home. Nothing too exciting to talk about besides the. 60s film version of Bye Bye Birdie, which if you follow oh, me on Letterboxd and I for my Paul Lynn fan account. Um, but, in the, but in the theaters this week, uh, oh God, what did I see? I saw The Souvenir, which I actually really liked. Um, it's not like my favorite movie of the year or anything, but I think I liked it more than Matt did when you saw it at Sundance, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know what? I, I think I'm going to give it another watch because I remember it was my third or fourth movie of the day. It was late in the evening and I was so yeah. tired and the movie almost put me to sleep. Yeah, and it's a slow movie and I feel like if I'd seen it in a festival setting, I would have probably been like bored. Um, but I really, I liked, first off, I like a movie about a female filmmaker or an aspiring filmmaker. I feel like there are not that many of those and so I, I appreciated that about it. Um, even though she has a very small role, I thought Tilda Swinton just stole the whole thing and has reminded me again about how incredible she is. And even as her daughter as the lead is also do. so good. Um, and I liked the aesthetics of it, like even just like her apartment and like little things like that. And I liked the soundtrack. Um, I was mostly, though, distracted by the fact that I saw a mouse in the movie theater. So Ugh. that's where I'm at with that. 
That's never fun. No. Ever. And it was in the beginning, <laughs> and I was just like thinking about it the entire time. I was like, God damn it. Like, I had my feet, like, up on the seat because I'm just like, just don't touch me. Speaking of Tilda Swinton stealing a movie, I saw Jim Jarmusch's uh, The Dead Don't Die this week. Oh, God. She looks like an absolute riot in that. She absolutely is. Her performance, you could say, is otherworldly. I would (laughs) almost go so far as to say that she's probably one of my favorite supporting actress performances of the year so far. Uh, She is... She is something else. The movie also is something else in the sense that Jim Jarmusch really throws a lot of ideas at this movie and they don't all kind of come together. And it really does feel like he's using this zombie horror genre to just explore uh, maybe just a little bit too much. And I don't think it works for I don't even want to say for everyone. It, I, I don't think it works, period, personally. I, I, I did chuckle. I did have a lot of good laughs out of it. I, I definitely, I can't say I didn't enjoy myself. I definitely enjoyed myself. I just don't think it's a well-made movie. That's really what it just comes down to. But as far as like a movie, I would watch at home with friends and just kind of casually have on. Yeah, I, I would probably do it again. Why not? I mm. uh, saw Dark Phoenix. Thoughts are on the podcast for that. And I've been catching up on a lot of TV as well. Obviously, Emmy season is right around the corner. So Tony's tonight. Emmys all next month through July. We'll be uh, talking a little bit about that. Yeah, there's a lot of really, really exciting things happening right now over here at Next Best Picture as awards season kicks into full gear. And with that said, let's talk about some Oscar predictions. Yes. Oh, Lord. It's time. This is it. June's the time to kick it off. I see all these other... Our fellow Oscar sites around the internet are already starting their Oscar coverage. And before we know, festivals are going to be here. Yep. So Cannes has come and gone. We've got Venice coming around the corner, Telluride, TIFF, NYFF. It's going to go full steam ahead. It's going to be pretty intense. Is the season. Have you guys ever made a prediction this early that turned out to be right off the top of your head? Oh, I feel yes, like yes, all of yes. us had Gary Oldman two years ago. Probably. This time. I think I did. Yes. Yes. Gary Oldman was definitely an easy call early out. You're all going to think I'm crazy here, but I start my predictions the November before the next season. You're oh insane. God. I start making a list and then update that every month. So going through, I was uh, at the end of last season looking through what I had done right, what I had done wrong. So I went all the way back to November 2017 to start looking. I had Widows winning Best Picture and then uh, Damien. No, I'm sorry. Steve McQueen taking Best Director for Widows and First Man taking Best Picture. All right. Shows where we are there. But when you go to look at the rest of them, I had Vice right up there. I had Glenn Close winning Best Actress for The Wife, which we all know how that turned out. But still, not a bad prediction to have at the time. Yeah. So you look at these things, you see what you can laugh at, what you could say, oh, that was a pretty good call, and uh, go from there. So take all this with a grain of salt, but at the same time also realize that, you know, some of these things could start to snowball. Yeah, this like, time uh, last year, we didn't Black know Panther Luke production was, design so. and costume design, November 2017. Wow. Yeah, predicting Black Panther for costume design and production design this far out was kind of a no-brainer, and it's actually pretty remarkable that it was able to hold on all that way. I think, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think last year, Black Panther and The Favorite were the only two films that anyone predicted mm-hmm. for either one of those uh, two awards all throughout the entire season. But again, it makes sense only because at that point we had seen Black Panther. Exactly. Like predicting True. that before anyone had seen it would have no, been. No, 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 Dan, I'm talking November 2017 before Black Panther even opened. 
Well, you're just crazy, as Dan said. Yeah, before. you're crazy. <laughs> I handwrite my predictions, so I'm a wackadoo also. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Here's what I want to know. Let's start off with this question first and foremost. We are almost at the halfway point of 2019. That will occur at the end of the month. Part of the reason why we're doing this now is because there are some other things happening over the next couple of weeks that I didn't want getting in the way necessarily of this podcast. So I figured now was a good time. The site is being updated with the uh, predictions from the team. We'll continue to update those on a regular basis. But one thing that the halfway point of the year has me wondering a lot is, is there a contender for best picture from the first six months of the year so far? Us. You think so? Uh, I think it's the only one that comes close. I don't know that it necessarily will contend, but like it looking at the movies that I've seen this year, that is the one that sort of like keeps forcing its way back to the front of my mind in random moments. Like it's the one that I I'm still thinking about. I agree. I just really feel like the buzz has kind of died down and that's very subjective obviously, but I feel like we were still talking about get out at this point two years ago. I mean, you're I agree. Right. the buzz has definitely died down, but it, I think we'll, it will come back when it's released on Blu-ray. And then what, again, when critics start making their end of year lists, I think it's, well, going to make I think that there is a general consensus though that us is not as good as get out I would agree it may be more technically well made but as far as like its story goes and um the screenplay and things like that I I think that realistically I think if you pull a majority of people I think more people will will favor get out over us and I think that hurts it I absolutely agree I just think that if there's anything that has been released by this point that's the one I, think I don't that, think that necessarily it will, but I think if there's anything, that's it the feels thing that like closest. anything that's come out thus far. If it did get nominated, it would be like a bit of a shocker. If that yeah. makes sense, yeah. I'm an at least for best picture. Well, let's let's ask ourselves this question really quick: Was Get Out and Black Panther were they considered shockers by the I time the nomination came yes, around? Some of us know. Not really. Right. Yeah, not by the time nominations came around. I think I don't think Get Out was a shocker at all because it had such a cultural impact and it was people were banging the drum for it. Yeah, all people year were banging long. the drum for it all year long. Black Panther a little bit more so, but only because no superhero film had ever been nominated for Best Picture. I'm gonna just throw this out there too. There are two films that I think if you ask most people, they will say these two films, they're not going to put them probably in their official predictions, but they're not going to rule them out right now either. And that is Avengers Endgame and Booksmart. That was my thought as well, Matt. I don't think Booksmart will contend in Best Picture, 
I don't but think it's going to contend anywhere. Best original screenplay, definitely. I think Booksmart is the eighth grade of this year. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. That's original screenplay. Yeah. Sure. Maybe a. Nomination. Yeah, a DGA first time nomination also for Olivia yeah. Wilde oh, yeah. feels like it's Definitely. in the cards. Yeah. So it's following that same trajectory. Would I love to see it go a little bit further than eighth grade did? Absolutely I would. Um, but I just mm, there's just too many comparisons to be made there. Same thing in a way with uh comparing Avengers Endgame. A little less so to Black Panther because Black Panther had like this cultural movement behind it. Uh, what Avengers Endgame though has going for it right now is, I think, in terms of the epic scope, the scale, and the weight of the enormity of like the the the, the project. You know, in terms of this twenty-two movie, decade-long franchise coming to a very satisfying close. You think it's going to be Return of the King? Y- yes and no. Um, yes and no, in the sense that yes, I think it could ride that same narrative to a nomination. No, in that I don't think it's winning eleven Oscars. <laughs> yeah, obviously not. It's not going to do that, but it's going to be like this is the way we honor the whole series, even though we haven't really before. Like, let me put it to you this way: I could see PGA and even some critics groups throwing it in there. I think a better comparison would be deathly hallows part two which oh you know what that is good few, yeah a good number of big precursors people were saying it's a good way to honor the series it got the best reviews of the entire series made the most money and then nothing which was a real disappointment because deathly hallows part two in my opinion 2011 in such a weak year that did deserve to be there for its achievement absolutely and really? the baftas yes, it did. <laughs> uh recognized yeah. it with a uh, achievement award which was really really cool Maybe we will see something similar like that happen to Avengers Endgame where it gets some recognition here and there. It doesn't get the Oscar nomination for Best Picture, but maybe there's some sort of, I don't know, just acknowledgement at the achievement. You know what I mean? Maybe I it'll finally win visual giving an answer. Right, yeah. <laughs> Robert Downey sure. Jr. for Best Actor because he's trying to save us all from climate change. Sure. <laughs> there is a movie coming out next week, which still counts as the first half of the year. And if we were using the old Academy system, I think this would actually be not a shoe in but very close to getting in there. <laughs> Men and, in Black uh, International. I was just going to say that, Matt. <laughs> uh, uh, next, actually, well, I guess you could say almost two weeks, uh, even though it's a little bit less. And that is uh, Toy Story 4. I have a little bit of inside intel, and I won't go into it on the podcast because I know people haven't seen it. I still haven't seen it, but I've had some sources uh, just that include me in that this is more of an inside out wally up than a cars three finding dory good dinosaur well the social media reactions to the first initial screenings definitely suggest that for sure um i will know myself in three days um i'm seeing it then so by next week's podcast hopefully i'll be able to weigh in a little bit on this but i think at least screenplay we could consider with animated and if this were back in the year of 10 like they were doing 2009 2010 this would absolutely factor into the best picture conversation the way that Toy Story 3 did. I agree with you on that sen- in that sense, Michael. And I also think that considering there are no other first half of the year contenders, I do think Toy Story 4 could potentially be a little bit higher than some of the other films that we have mentioned so far. But if you want to look internationally, these are films that haven't opened in the US yet, but they are playing worldwide. You have Pain and Glory and Parasite are both playing internationally right now. Yeah, Parasite is the Palme d'Or winner. Pain and Glory, Pedro Almodovar's latest film starring Antonio Banderas, who's also getting a lot of Oscar buzz attributed to Best Actor. 
And then, of course, Pedro Almodovar, he's had success in the screenplay category as well. I don't know right now. I, I have to see it to know for sure. But as of right now, I only see that as an Antonio Banderas and international film uh, contender play right I, now I at the moment. I think Pedro can contend for best director there. I really do. Well, if you read my article from a few weeks back, you'll know mm. that uh, I did some research on how can films translate to Oscars. And basically, if you're a foreign film that was the Pandora, your best, uh, the, the way that helps you best is in best international film, not necessarily best picture, but there are exceptions, but the numbers are not usually in the favor. Yeah, it's, there's always a question like, is it, is like, Antonio Banderas going to be like a Javier Bardem in beautiful situation or is it going to be like any other else? number anyone else <laughs> so this week's uh, question on the weekly polls actually is which film as of today is going to be the next best picture Oscar winner it's a question that we do like to ask periodically throughout the year and so I'm going to ask you guys right now what do you have in a number one slot for best picture and why Let's start off with Michael. I have 1917 from Sam Mendes, because I think if you look back to the 2017 year when The Shape of Water won and Get Out was in contention, three billboards, they were all going up and down on a bit of a roller coaster ride. But the one movie that stayed so consistent that season was Dunkirk, and it ended up winning editing and sound awards. It did pretty well for itself. Almost won Christopher Nolan a Best Director Oscar. So I think if you take that narrative and then expand on it, even more with what Sam Mendes seems to be doing, like a day in the life of World War One, shot by Roger Deakins. Sam Mendes is someone who's a former winner, hasn't uh, made a great film since Skyfall, but he's been doing a lot of terrific theater work. I think there's so much just on the surface here that if the film lives up to all the hype, this could be something that really takes off. Okay. All right. And also, too, it is uh, rumored to be shot in one take like Birdman from what I understand yes yes by Roger Deakins yeah so there may be a visual dazzle factor there that could sway members of the academy I I, I actually think that 1917 is the kind of movie that is a director tech player but I don't know if it has the broad social significance mass appeal factor to win best picture and that's the only yeah. reason why I don't have it predicted it's at all this preferential time. and I think the big cast here could also go a long way you have like Colin Firth and all these other people the british who's who in this movie sure sure uh nicole what about you i've been going back and forth but i think i'm gonna go with the irishman for right now okay um, it's a safe it choice feels like yeah it feels like a safe choice it's got a lot of buzz it's got you know some of the right names in it it feels like um so that's i i also have been thinking about 1917 um but then wasn't sure if that's just my bias playing into it because that's, you know, probably going to be one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, I'll say The Irishman. You know, the one thing about The Irishman I keep going back and forth on, and I just want to be clear, I have no insider knowledge about this. I'm just kind of assuming here. I'm assuming that the kind of things that The Irishman are going to be uh, talking about, considering that it's a director in the uh, later years of his life, it stars in the later years of their lives. I feel like it's going to be like this commentary on uh, mortality, life and death, reflection, um, regret. And I think that those are themes that could very much hit home for a lot of people mm -hmm. and really kind of stand as a culmination of sorts for a lot of these legendary uh, 
actors and uh, Martin Scorsese's careers. There was a great interview with Erwin Winkler, the producer of Goodfellas and many of the other Scorsese movies, Rocky. And he is good friends with Scorsese, obviously, saw an early cut of The Irishman and said it's even better than Goodfellas, in his opinion. Okay. Which he produced. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely very exciting. Uh, The visual effects work is not done. It's still being worked on. Martin Scorsese is a perfectionist (laughs) and he is not going to release it until it is ready. So my current guess at this time is to expect the Irishman to be ready at the last possible minute in the last week of December. Much like silence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's typical. Uh, Right. Dan, what about you? Um, I, as y'all know, I hate this because I think it's pointless to do this this early, but if we're, I mean, thinking about the things that have already played at the festivals and screened for people and what the reactions to those have been and looking at what's coming up, um, I'm, I'm going with Michael and saying 1917 feels like the most likely at this point just based on like nothing other than talent attached and what we know about the the final product okay all right casey what about you i also have the irishman um for all the things that we said before um i with like 1917 being a very close second but they honestly feel like placeholders tentatively just because i feel like a majority of the stuff that i have predicted to be best picture nominees we don't even have trailers for yet so i feel kind of just like what looks good on paper and just kind of going with that. At the also, moment. I mean, like last year was Green Book on anyone's that's what I Exactly. Like, do we even know it existed really? <laughs> yeah. Around June or July, that's when it first started uh, the ad campaign. But I think we had heard rumblings in like April and May of, oh, Mahershala is doing this movie based on a true story. This could be something to watch. Yeah, it was definitely something that people were aware of. And Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen were working together on a project. And then it turned out to be this Peter Farley project. And then everybody naturally says, oh, well, there's no way that that's going to be a contender because it's Peter Farley, yeah, right? So acting, sort of like the judge. That's how I thought of it at first. Exactly. And it should and it should have stayed that way. Just yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, what about you? I also just reluctantly I'm saying the Irishman in lieu of anything else. Uh I my number one on the site, it says once upon a time in Hollywood. That doesn't mean I think it's going to win. I just think it is the most logical to get nominated based on what we know so far. People have seen it. Tarantino has a great track record, but I think it has no chance to win, really. But yeah, uh, the Irishman for things, everybody, all the reasons people said, I think there could be a rallying cry for let's get Scorsese one more before he's done. You know, he only has one. So or I guess one for directing, but still Uh, you're going to hear this echoed with me a little bit, I think, throughout this podcast. And that is uh, the untitled Noah Baumbach film, because Mm -hmm. Mm. Noah to me is that writer-director who I feel has been so, so close to having a contender on his hands. Like, he's just always been on the cusp, and the right project just hasn't been there, necessarily. He's gotten an Oscar nomination before for The Squid and the Whale, and this time around, he's working with Adam Driver, who's coming off of his first nomination from last year, so there's that afterglow effect where he could uh, be in contention again. Then he's also got Scarlett Johansson in the lead role, who is coming off of Avengers, who has never received an Oscar nomination before. 
And there's a much buzzed about performance from Laura Dern in the supporting category, who's also very overdue, who also has a tremendous amount of industry support. And that could be a win. So when you take a lot of this overdue good narratives together and you put them with this uh, writer director who is somebody that I think has built up a really good amount of credibility for himself with his filmography over the years it almost just feels like the combustible elements are coming together. And finally, the last thing I'll just add in there is I kind of feel like Netflix is going to go harder this year than they did last year. How is that Because possible? of the fact that they didn't pull it off <laughs> last year. They are very excited about this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they have a lot to prove. Not, not so much to prove, but more of they 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 just really want to show everyone that Roma was not like a fluke they and that uh, they are here to it. play. And okay, fine. They want revenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> revenge. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that when I compare the two uh, big ponies, The Irishman and the untitled Noah Baumbach film, I- I'm thinking more along the lines of uh, two things. The Irishman to me screams like that uh, tech player that could be a directorial achievement, but I I just can't help but escape the film Twitter narrative of, oh, we're going to reward a bunch of old white dudes, which I know is going to come up at some point, no matter how well acclaimed the film is. And I like it it already is kind of breaking my heart, but that's okay. Um, Noah Baumbach, though, definitely with those actors and with, like I said, all those other elements combined, it, it it's something that right now on paper just feels right. Yeah, it really could be like Grand Budapest potentially, where yeah. Wes Anderson got a screenplay nomination here or there for the better part of two decades, and then one movie finally reaped all the rewards. Um, and but I really feel like <laughs> it still doesn't win, but still, I really do think. It, you know, we're six months out from the year ending, but it really does feel like Laura Dern could very easily kind of build the momentum for a pretty significant career win. I feel like we all have her, if not number one, very near the top. Am I wrong yeah. in saying that? No, uh, yeah, I think that she is currently, uh, according to our list, she is uh, the runaway favorite right now for yeah. Best Supporting Actress here at MVP. Um, another thing to also factor in, too, is um, Noah Baumbach's uh, team that he's working with on this film, as far as the, uh, the texts are concerned. So for uh, editing, he's working with uh, Jennifer Lame who was the uh, film editor for Manchester uh, by the Sea, uh, Hereditary. Uh, he's, uh, she's previously worked with, um, uh, with Noah on Francis Ha before. And she is going to work with Christopher Nolan on his next film. Right. And then the cinematographer is uh, Robbie Ryan, who shot The Favorite last year, received an Oscar nomination. So I, I think that there's also like a chance that this film could also stand out not technically like with Oscar nominations, but just have that prestige sheen factor to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh my God. It's such a good cast outside of just Scarlett Johansson, Adam driver and Laura Dern going through IMDb. You know who else is in this? Merritt Weaver, Merritt Weaver, Ray Liotta, Julie Haggerty. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Julie Haggerty. Oh, Gideon Glick is in it too. Who's <gasps> Tony nominee tonight. Yay. Yay, Gideon. Uh, Mark O'Brien, for those Halt and Catch Fire fans out there. It looks like this takes place in the theater world, because I'm looking through, like, the they have, like, character names on IMDb, and it says, like, talent agent, theater actor, theater actor, theater actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. I, I also just, like, another thing, too, I just want to, like, also just finally just say with something like this is that I think it's smart 
nowadays to pick a film that has a chance like on a on a level of something say like a ordinary people kind of a vibe where if it's like you know good writing good acting a story that people really can relate to sounds like manchester by the sea to me well, yeah, well, those two those two films often get yeah. compared, but also something like a Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, my God. If we're going to reenter the Kramer versus Kramer, ordinary people terms in the Dearman era, I am so in for that. Oh, my God. Well, that's what, that, and that's what I'm getting at here. I, I, I think that on paper, this looks like that kind of a winner uh, where all these other films, I feel like, have a lot of um, flashy elements to it. But like, you know, and just and just going through that for a second, let's take a look at some of the other contenders here. So we did mention Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I kind of feel like Tarantino's uh, bad press vibes are going to hurt that film overall throughout the season, where now I can only see that landing in text and screenplay. Agreed. Maybe yeah. an actor. Even Leo, I'm a little unsure about. Uh, what do we all think about A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Marielle Heller coming off of Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, starring Tom Hanks as the wonderful Mr. Rogers. That's going to be a tricky one, because from what I understand, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is supporting in that movie. Yeah. Just like he was Walt Disney and Saving Mr. Banks. So just, so this is going to be like a Last King of Scotland kind of a thing, you think? Well, I, from what I understand, they're positioning very early on. It's uh, going to be Matthew Reese in lead and Tom Hanks in supporting. And that's the only comparison between those two movies. Idi Amin and Mr. Rogers walk into a Well, you know, what, you know what I mean now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very clear that he's supporting, but they might just push him lead because of the larger-than-life uh, performance, maybe. Yeah, I have him in lead until proven otherwise. It just... I can't imagine him being supporting unless he is very clearly supporting. Yeah. I think the movie's more about a journalist interviewing him when he comes to Pittsburgh. And that's the reason why I don't think it'll end up being as big a player as a lot of people think it will be. I agree with you, Dan. Plus, there's something to be said about the film being released under the TriStar label and not the Sony uh, Columbia label. Because not that TriStar does bad work by any means, but that's where their second tier films usually end up. Not their big Oscar contenders at the end of the season. I want to talk about Fair and Balanced for a second. Or if you don't believe that that's the title... Uh, untitled Jay Roach <laughs> Vice uh, Part Two. Yep, yeah. Vice Part Two. Sure. I think that this could be, if handled well, this could be a kind of a spotlight esque contender, maybe, in terms of uh, the journalism world being presented, though, uh, framed around a social uh, and political issue that could uh, really, you know, stand out as quote unquote important to voters. You know. Yeah, I have it in some acting categories for now and maybe a screenplay. It really will depend on what the reaction is because Jay Roach has mostly found award success in his TV movies, yeah. am I right? Except for Trumbo, because then his actual mm-hmm. movies are more kind of uh, broad comedies like, um, you know, Austin Powers, Austin Powers. Parents. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. But then there's also the fact that we still have the other Roger Ailes movie that's going that's to a TV. TV show. That's a TV movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Is. So if that, if the consensus is that that one does it better, are, is, is this mm-hmm. going to register at all? Well, which one comes out first? I think that's what matters. Mm. Yeah. The, the uh, Showtime series starts in July. Yeah. And this is going to be released in December. Mm-hmm. With yeah. a bigger cast. This is a huge cast. Yeah, Mark Duplass, huge. Malcolm McDowell, Kate McKinnon, Allison Janney, 
John Lithgow, Margot Robbie, Nicole Kim, and Charlize Theron. It's like three of like Hollywood's best blondes. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Looking ahead, we talked about Green Book not being a huge factor at this point last year. Like we knew what it was, but we didn't know it was going to be a big Oscar thing. I have a film to fill that uh, slot this year. And I've been in, very interested in this one. It's a movie called Just Mercy. Oh, my God. Yes. And it's from one of the others. Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Tim Blake Nelson, et cetera, et cetera. Attorney Brian Stevenson takes the case of Walter McMillan, a man in prison for murder, despite having evidence to prove otherwise, directed by Dustin Daniel Crutton. Who, if people don't know, directed Short Term 12 and uh, The Glass Castle. But, you know, Short Term 12, we'll highlight that. <laughs> it's going to be one of those movies that releases in late December, limited release, and then goes wide in early January. Yeah, I kept it out of my predictions because I couldn't find evidence that it officially is coming out this year yet. But I mean, I'm sure they'll just change that. As an early January release. Yeah. Almost always is going to be. I know. I assume that too. But just until it's official, I just kept it out. Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely going to be big because Michael B. Jordan came so close to a nomination last year. You have to believe that he's working towards that first nomination at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could be looking at return nominations for Brie Larson, even Jamie Foxx. Yeah, Jamie Foxx really should get back in there. And he got two nominations that one year when he won for Ray. But if anyone saw him doing the Jeffersons on ABC a couple weeks ago, that guy still got it. Uh, Destin Daniel Crenton is another director who it's like. You know, as we said before, with Short Term 12, showed tremendous promise. Uh, the Glass Castle, like I said, was one of those movies that it, it's not bad. It just was a disappointment, I think, following Short Term 12. And I know a lot of people had it on their radar that year. So I think this is one to still keep on the radar. I am beginning to wonder, though, if it is a like, is it just a screenplay and acting contender? Is it a best picture screenplay acting contender? Uh, it's a little unsure. Right now, at the it's moment, a true story. Oh, Jamie Foxx is a really baby role here. He's the man who's uh, on death row. Yeah, uh, Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi, <laughs> who is someone that is very, very popular around film Twitter, <laughs> and is someone that I know a lot of us want to see his career uh, continue to do well here. I don't know necessarily what to make of this one as of yet, but I am predicting it for a lot of nominations at the moment. Same. Yeah, this is one that, huh. when you see that Fox Searchlight gives it a prime mid-October release. Right. Same spot that they gave Birdman and a bunch of 12 Years a Slave. They know what they're doing and they are total pros at this. And even though it's Taika Waititi playing a comical version of Adolf Hitler, you know, I, I trust him to do it well. You know, Mel Brooks did it with the producers 50 plus years ago in a different style. This seems like it's you know, a coming of age story about a kid with maybe some twisted thoughts, but uh, it can be a quirky. I don't know if it is a quirky movie, but it sounds like it could be on the surface. It's definitely a dark comedy. Uh, synopsis reads lonely German boy Jojo Rabbit Betzler has his worldview turned upside down when he discovers that his single mother, Rosie, is hiding a young Jewish girl in their attic. Aided only by his idiotic imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. I, this, oh, it's tough. Dark comedy is really, really tough. Um, Both to get right and with the, to predict how the Academy will go with it. I think that even if it's good, I think we may just see a screenplay nomination. I think it'll be kind of like in the loop. Even with in the Academy release? Yep. I could see this being a New York Film Festival, TIFF. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I could definitely see this 
you know, making its way at the festivals. And I, I looking at Taika Waititi's uh, filmography so far, you know, once again, he's one of those guys that I feel like is following that trajectory of, you know, that he's going to, um, well, you already, he already has an Oscar nomination for a short film, but you know that he's going to get uh, Academy recognition at some point. And I don't think it's going to be with Akira <laughs> in 2021 no. uh, necessarily. Uh, maybe that could be a tech player. But, you know, this seems like the kind of movie that, like you said there for a second, Dan, at least maybe for screenplay, especially if they nail the comedy right. I mean, I'm sure it's going to upset people no matter what. Oh, yeah. But if the general consensus is that he pulls it off and I mean, just reading that plot synopsis, it sounds like such a kooky, wacky idea just based on originality alone. I mean, they're portraying him. Hitler to be like a bumbling oaf here. It's not like it's any agenda. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think people, once they see what the concept is, will be fine with that. Sam Rockwell is in it. That can maybe be yet another nomination for him. He's playing uh, a Nazi captain who runs a Hitler youth camp. Of course he is. Who? Alfie Allen. Oh. Yeah, I love Alfie Allen. Incredible. And um, Thompson McKenzie, right? Yeah, Thomas and Mackenzie is the Jewish girl is being uh, kept in the attic. We need to mention Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. Another Searchlight release. Yeah. They have three this year. Yep. They they are doing a pretty good job, I feel like, of really packing out their slate. Uh, this is written and directed by Chloe Zhao, uh, who some of you might remember uh, did The Writer a couple of uh, years or a year or whenever it was, uh, depending <laughs> on when you actually saw it in your in your area. <laughs> Uh, but this film has Francis McDormand, David Strafen, and it's one to uh, definitely like just keep on the radar, like we said before, especially with Francis McDormand just having uh, a tremendous amount of goodwill, buzz in any project that she sh- uh, signs up for. It is such a baity part. If she hadn't just won for three billboards, I think we'd be saying, oh, this will be her second Oscar. Yeah. Because when you look at the synopsis, a woman in her 60s after losing everything in the Great Recession embarks on a journey through the American West living in a van as it or living as a van dwelling modern day nomad. Mm-hmm. That is such a, you could just picture her in the role already. We haven't even seen a still and you could picture her in that role. The last thing he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that I am this close to putting in my number one slot. Actually, I, I'm very, very close. It is being directed and written by D Reese. Who's coming off of Mudbound. And the story is a journalist stops her coverage of the 1984 presidential election to take care of her dying father, starring Anne Hathaway and Willem Dafoe, who is currently, as of right now, leading our predictions for Best Supporting Actor on Next Best Picture. Willem Dafoe in this really does feel like Viola Davis, Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour. Like you could start Mm -hmm. calling it this early. I assume he's playing the dying father. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it would be his on. third nomination in a row. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They clearly want to give it to him again, and this would be the perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. Great so give it to him for the first too. time. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say he hasn't gotten one yet. <laughs> there you go. Supporting cast is Ben Affleck, Toby Jones, Rosie Perez, Mel Rodriguez. I'm happy to see Ben Affleck still taking uh, supporting roles. Uh, I don't think he needs to be in the spotlight all the time necessarily. So I'm glad to see that hopefully he's taking a bit of a step back with this. You know, the synopsis on the film page only gives you a portion of the story here because it's based on this famous novel from 96 that Joan Didion wrote. So you think, oh, it's just like this tender story of a journalist stopping to care for her dying father. Sort of like one true thing, the Meryl Streep movie. Then there's another paragraph. In an unusual turn of events, she inherits his position as an arms dealer for the U.S. government in Central America. (laughs) 
I hate when that yeah, happens. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a political thriller. Uh, that is what it's being described as. So, I, listen, at the end of the day, I'm just really excited to see whatever D. Reese has to give to us next because Mudbound was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm especially excited for this year of just a lot of films directed by women that seem like big contenders. Yep. Which leads us to Greta Gerwig's follow up to Lady Bird, Woo-hoo. Little Women. Woo! <laughs> This is interesting. I know that this film has started screening. I know that the buzz on it is not the best as of right now. But not bad. It's just not what it was. Yeah, there's a lot of time that things could change. Yeah. Uh, One thing I'm a little worried about with this is uh, Greta taking on some of the criticisms that Bradley Cooper took on last year with A Star is Born, where I think the general consensus is nowadays, if you're telling a story that's been told over and over and over again, you got to really come at it from a very fresh and different perspective. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she has. Yeah, she's doing it uh, with nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. So hopefully that that is enough. But also, too, we got to be careful because that could also be a trap as well. Yeah. Uh, all I'm saying, though, is like, obviously, even though, like I said, it has started screening. I do not necessarily know yet what the final state of the film is. Obviously, it's still being worked on. It is going to be released towards the end of the year. So whatever you're hearing on the street about it as of now, I would take it with a grain of salt. Do we think that Saoirse Ronan's going to just slip into a fourth nomination before she turns 30? Or is that like a bridge too far? I would love that. I mean, Winona Ryder was nominated for playing Joe in the, what is it, the 94 version? And Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely the kind of role that tends to have some, you know, some baity bits to it. And with Saoirse being who she is, like, I don't think it's, you know, unlikely that she could get a nomination for No, no, no. She's definitely in my top 10. I I don't have her in my top five right now at the moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, who's playing Beth? I think it. Oh, Eliza Scanlon from Sharp. Yeah, Objects. from Sharp Objects. Uh, that could be a supporting nomination, I think. Well, I mean, the cast here. I mean, you know, you got Florence Pugh, you got Timothy Chalamet, yeah. Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, Emma Watson. You know, we were all kind of casually joking uh, back when the film was being cast that this was going to be titled "Film Twitter: The Movie," and <laughs> it, it, it definitely uh, sounds that way uh, a lot. Uh, you have Alexandra Desplat doing the music. So that could also be uh, something to look out for, for him getting yet another nomination. Um, Meryl Streep has a couple of different projects this year that she's, she's working be on. like one scene of this movie, Matt. I don't know. I understand. I don't know. I understand that. It was transition. Um, not saying that she'll be, you know, in it for this. But another film that also to keep uh, our eyes on possibly is uh, The Laundromat, uh, which also stars uh, Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas. And it is a Steven Soderbergh directed film who admittedly has not really been an awards magnet. However, that does not mean that he can't get a great performance out of Meryl Streep. So we can never discount her. Got to keep this her yeah, on the radar. She's in my five because you literally have to just consider her. Yep. Yep. What I've heard she's supporting in this movie. Uh, oh, right. interesting. Way, she's still in my five, whatever category the, it is. Uh, comparisons I've heard to The Laundromat, I've heard a lot of people compare the film and her performance to adaptation. Ooh. Which is one of her best performances. So Agreed. Yeah. It's <laughs> a very kooky Merle Street. Last film that we're going to talk about before we get to our trailers, and then we'll talk about those three movies in a little bit more detail based on the uh, footage that we uh, got rid this week, is Harriet. Directed by uh, Cassie Lemons, 
starring Cynthia Erivo playing Harriet Tubman. She is currently the runaway favorite right now at Next Best Picture for Best Actress, also co-starring Leslie Odom Jr. And Joe Alwyn. The 2016 Tonys. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Alwyn is still not someone that I say with enthusiasm just yet. <laughs> I, I need to see more work from this guy because Billy Lynn's long halftime walk still put a bad taste in my mouth. I just loved him last year in Boy Erased and in The Favorite and in Mary Queen of Scots. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's working his way up there. Yeah. yeah. I think that was that was good. good that was a good redemption start for me. Very good in a supporting role. Yes. Janelle Monet has a uh, yeah. supporting role in this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that should be something to look out for. She came close to a nomination for Hidden Figures. Uh, also co-starred in Moonlight the same year. But uh, I'm just really curious. Are, are we saying Sevier Revo uh, just based on you know on paper and uh, coming off of a really really fantastic breakout year last year with Widows and Bad Times at the El Royale? Like what what's the reasoning here? I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, on mm-hmm. paper she's playing one of the most important and powerful and inspiring American figures of all time, and it's a biopic. I assume, or maybe it's more of a concentrated kind of moment biopic, but that's even better. And she's, you know, a rising star. She is one O away from an EGOT. And mm-hmm. she, you know, hit big with Widows and Bad Times last year. It just really feels correct. I saw her in The Color Purple on Broadway. And oh, that Lord. feels like, yeah, the acting so chops good. that she showed in that um, make me think that this could be a really special performance. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't as, like, confident as, like, when making my predictions for the site of like what would win certain categories. But this was one where I was just like, I could put her in my number one for right now. <laughs> like I felt very exactly. on paper. It just makes sense. And it seems like, you know, the types of actress performances that they like to reward of these like bit like newcomers, younger women, like it just, it makes sense. And also like the biopic thing has definitely been a thing in recent years. So my one thing is like, do we know who's directing this? I don't remember who's directing yes, it. Yes, Cassie, Cassie Lemons. Oh right, Cassie Lemons. Which okay, yeah, I, that makes me feel more confident than there I would otherwise. There are two other top tier contenders before we jump over to the trailers that I think are worth mentioning in the best picture conversation. We have a Midsummer. One of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of them is Lucy in the Sky, which is also yes. a flight. I Natalie Portman is in my best actress list. I don't know. That looked a little bit too out there for Oscars, in my opinion. I agree, Cody. The thing to really? consider there is that the trailer dropped in March without a release date. And this is the same exact thing Fox Searchlight did in 2017 and 2018 for both Three Billboards and Can You Ever Forgive Me? Who I asked for comment on that, by the way, and they dodged my question. Hmm. Interesting. So that's one. Even if it's not Best Picture, maybe Best Actress nomination for Natalie Portman. That's what yeah. I think it's like And the other just premiered nomination. a can. The one that just premiered a can is uh, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life. But it did not get great reviews. Yeah, though. it was kind of a that mostly mixed reception for my. Yeah. Um, However, something that we talked about off air a little bit, a little shout out to Ann Thompson over at IndieWire. When she gets a sense of something and she says it publicly, it needs to be taken, I think, a little seriously because she has this sixth sense where she can just see things coming like a mile away around the corner. Yeah. And she has said that she feels that a hidden life could very much be up the Academy's wheelhouse. And let's face it, Tree of Life was 
a very challenging movie in many regards. And that yeah. film still managed to get three nominations, including a Best Picture nomination. They clearly love Terrence Malick. But also nothing he's done since has hit with them. Well, admittedly, um, they haven't been as quality in my agreed. opinion. <laughs> agreed, but I'm just saying, like, I, because this was one of my, like, sight unseen, like, after last year's Oscars, like, I think this could be a big contender, but the reviews from Khan really sort of made me temper my expectations a bit. I do not deny Ann Thompson's ability to put her finger on the pulse at all, though. And I would love for a Terrence Malick movie to just be, like, the big hit with the Academy, <laughs> so... How crazy yeah. is it that a Terrence Malick movie is now being distributed by Disney? <laughs> I think you can say that about a lot of things right now. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of films being released this year by Disney that, you know, it, it it sounds weird, but hey, that's just the world we're living in right now. I, I, can't, I can't wait to go to the Tree of Life exhibit at Disney World, uh, Animal Kingdom. <laughs> One of those films is a trailer that we're going to talk about right now, actually. It's called Ad Astra, which we finally got a trailer for. Finally. finally. <laughs> Directed and written by James Gray, starring Brad Pitt. This film is being distributed by Walt Disney Studios, originally a 20th Century Fox uh, production. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. What are you thinking about? I do what I do because of my dad. He was a hero. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. Control, you're getting that over. It's crazy out there. There's fires everywhere and plane crashes. They're calling it the search. Major, we have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. I worry about you. I love you. Please begin your psychological evaluation. As best you can, please describe your current mental and emotional state. I'm feeling good. Ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I remain fully committed to the lawful completion of the mission. If necessary, I will destroy the project in its entirety. The Earth put its hopes in him. And now, it's fate. It's on me. have a job to do are you ready i'm ready i oh boy i'm so fucking happy that this is like actually coming out finally um 
but the trailer is giving me massive first man vibes. Completely understandable. And I also have to say in regards to that, I was shocked. Shocked. If you know anything about James Gray's filmography, other than maybe We Own the Night? Yeah, probably other than We Own the Night. Mm-hmm. His his movies are not marketed this way for such a like a mainstream mass appeal uh kind of a standpoint. Yeah. Like the immigrant and lost city of Z are beautiful art house period films. Oh god, so good. And that's just not something that you generally, you know, kind of gravitate towards in the way that uh, they are positioning this movie. They're kind. They're, they're really trying to position this as like a gravity first man kind of a film. And I think that this is going to be a case of mismarketing where when people do see it, unless if James Gray has completely changed his style, which I highly doubt, I think people are going to go into this expecting to see like some thrilling space adventure movie. And instead it's going to be like this slow, meditative, contemplative art house drama that happens to have a 50 million dollar production budget <laughs> when this was first announced it was described as a heart of darkness in space there you go what else what else more do you yeah. need than that <laughs> yeah i i'm so like i'm ready for this movie my body is so ready for this movie but i can't help but feeling like it's going to be a minor tech player in terms of oscars yeah they're going to see it and they're going to think it's too slow and too boring even though it's clearly one of the best movies of the year yeah i'm i'm excited for it as a movie to see but as an awards contender i tentatively only have it in the text like something like first man hoyt van hoytema doing the cinematography music being done by max richter who is so close to his first nomination. <laughs> I just, I want that to happen so badly. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt, I didn't really get a sense that he would be returning to the best actor lineup with this. Again, it feels very Ryan Gosling and first man interior sort of performance. And can anyone tell me where Ruth Nega was in the trailer? Cause I didn't see her. I didn't <laughs> see her at all. She got billing and I was like, wait a minute, where was she? <laughs> so that was a little bizarre. I definitely think though that there is something about the way that this trailer was cut together and the way that story was kind of told that they're holding something back. There is definitely twists in this story that the trailer is not letting on to. It's a musical. (laughs) (laughs) No, but did anyone else get a sense of that? Well, the plot in the trailer seemed weirdly broken up. Like there was that thing at the beginning with the, uh, I don't remember the, the surge. And then it became this adventure searching movie. And I was a little confused as to how those tie together. Like, as soon as he woke up in the hospital, I was like, oh, something happened between his accident and when he woke up. And that's going to be like a reveal later on in the film. And it's going to recontextualize stuff. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I could see this screenplay uh, definitely taking us on a wild ride. What if Ruth Nega plays like an alien? <laughs> They mentioned extraterrestrials in the movie. In the I got enough of that this week with Jessica Chastain. I'm good. No problem with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, next trailer we're going to talk about as far as an awards contender possibly on paper is concerned, at least in uh, two categories for best supporting actress and uh, for best screenplay. Uh, Right now we have Loose, which Casey and I have had the privilege of seeing that we've been hyping up for weeks, but you all finally got a chance to see some of the footage of this movie. Let's take a look at the trailer and see what you all thought. When I first met my mother, she couldn't pronounce my name. My father suggested that they rename me. They picked Loose which means light. 
If you Googled model student, Luce Edgar's picture would come up on the computer. Given Luce's background, you and Peter must have faced quite a few challenges. The language barrier, the culture shock. I mean, you don't pull a kid out of a war zone and have him turn out like Luce without a lot of help. Which is why this is so difficult. Difficult? Last week, he wrote a paper in which he argued that violence was a necessary cleansing force. You, you teach this? I don't. So what? It's just something's going on, and I want to be in front of it. She thinks I'm a poster boy, black kid who overcame his tragic past. You really don't like her, do you? OK, what about a responsibility to tell the truth? What? Set. You don't conform to what she wants, and suddenly you're the enemy. This woman has some kind of vendetta against Luce. Isn't there a chance that what he wrote has went over your head? I can tell the difference between miscommunication and provocation. Like it how? Writing something like that might make someone freaked out. You really think I believe that stuff? I don't know. You threaten your teacher? I didn't. Luce, don't lie to me. I'm not. Luce. It's the truth. What happened with Miss Wilson? There were a lot of rumors. This woman decided to go after him on some witch hunt. My home was vandalized. I'm not going to ruin some kid's life because you come in here with some hunches. Is Where? my son being accused of a crime here? He sure as hell is about to be. It's like I only get to be a saint or a monster. Tell me the truth! This woman's just gone through a mental breakdown. What are you doing? He's lying, Dan. Period. Once you know something, you can't unknow it. I want to know. No matter what. Just goes to show you. You never really know what's going on with people. I just love that score so much. <laughs> it's so good. It just so good. And like, it's that the entire movie. And then as soon as I left that movie, I was just like, I can't wait to listen to this score because like, pump me up. Do you think we're underestimating this score, Casey? Uh, maybe. Because it is different. That's the other thing. It's like a very different score. And especially because my other favorite score of the year, which is us, is probably going to be ineligible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw a lot of people commenting. Uh, at me specifically saying, I see now what you're talking about. Yeah, I was one of those people. <laughs> and I feel like they don't give away too much, too. Which is great. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, you want to talk about a screenplay that takes you in directions that you are not expecting. And remember before when I was talking about movies like Ordinary People, Manchester by the Sea, and uh, movies that really just kind of uh, focus on good writing, good performances, and the direction is so, uh, you know, kind of seamless say it's it's invisible you know it's just it's invisible but yet it's guided so well like in like almost the way like spotlight is uh crafted or ladybird things like that like that is this movie i feel like in so many ways i was just gonna say it's definitely of the three trailers that we're discussing today the movie that i immediately was like wait when is the release date for this like yeah. it I feel like it's a really good trailer, too, in that it gives away enough to get you interested, but it also keeps enough back that you're kind of like, wait, I need to know what this is actually about. Yeah, I love that nobody really knows what this is about. I, it looks so good. The I'm here for all the performances. I'm here for Octavia Spencer 
um, doing something that is more dramatic again, which, oh, I totally forgot to mention that I saw Ma this past week, and Octavia Spencer is so brilliant in it. I love it so much, even though the movie is crap. But anyway, um, Octavia Spencer, I'm here for Naomi Watts being in something good again. I am here for Tim fucking Roth. Who, uh, you know, I yes. think he's solid in the movie. I, I don't think he's a standout necessarily, but I totally I get that. I'm glad that, like, this seems to be a more interesting film for the female leads. Yeah. Um, than yeah. it does for the male leads outside of um, the, the kid. Calvin Harrison Jr. is brilliant in this. Very brilliant. He gives a performance where you are both charmed by him and somehow terrified i i guarantee you it's something that's going to stick with you yeah. long after the movie's over it, it's still stuck with me i can already tell you that i foresee massive category fraud with him yep. which would be a crime mm. uh he is clearly the lead of the film don't let anyone tell you otherwise <laughs> well, this is qualified for indie spirits uh yeah definitely i could see them putting him in lead that's it seems like the kind of performance that they would nominate mm-hmm. but i mean as far as and i've said this before a couple times octavia spencer this is the best role that she's ever like this is like her best performance by far i i, I cannot like stress that enough <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait and the director too julius ona uh, uh it's it's baffling to me that he did the cloverfield paradox <laughs> and it's like one of the worst movies i saw last year uh and yet he follows it up with this like kind of like just out of nowhere and this film just completely completely knocks knocks you on your ass so august 2nd being released by neon definitely get excited for it also, Norbert, Norbert Leo Butz. Love uh, Norbert Leo yeah. Butz. We stan. Exactly. Stan so hard. This is the right group of people to say that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I know, I, know what, I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing. Uh, but right now, uh, Octavia Spencer, we definitely have her in our supporting actress uh, predictions right now at the moment. Absolutely. And some of us have loose also in the adapted screenplay uh, category. Yep. Wait, it, adapted? Yeah, it's basically yeah. play. I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh. So if that also gives you an idea about it. Yeah. And I've been saying since Sundance that if there was any film uh, that I saw at the festival that I felt like could go all the way till the end of the year in sort of like a Manchester by the Sea whiplash sort of a way, I think this is the one. But we'll have to wait and see how audiences respond to it. And last but not least, final trailer, a movie that we have not discussed so far on the show, but we are going to discuss it now. We got a trailer for James Mangold's uh, follow-up to Logan, starring Matt Damon, Christian Bale, and a slew of others, Ford v. Ferrari. Let's take a look. Look out there. Out there is the perfect lap. You see it? I think so. Most people can't. Carol Shelby. Maybe. Lee I. Coke. Ford Motor. Suppose Henry Ford II wanted to build the greatest race car the world's ever seen to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. What's it take? Well, it takes something money can't buy. Money can buy speed. What well, in about speed? You need a pure racer behind the wheel of your car. That's Ken Miles. I don't trust him an inch. We heard he's difficult. No, no, Ken's a puppy dog.
Whatever it is, Shell, no. Trust me. You're going to build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. And how long did you tell them that you needed? Two, three hundred years? Ninety days. <laughs> This isn't the first time Ford Motors has gone to war. We know how to do more than push paper. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. Thank you, sir. Do you think you can beat Ferrari? We're lighter, we're faster. That don't work, we're nastier. Make history. You ready? I was born ready, Mr. Shelby. Hit it. Oh I God, did not. Thrilling. I did not like this trailer when I first saw it on YouTube, <laughs> and then this weekend I saw it on the big screen. And holy crap, the cinematography looks amazing. It's not even just so much that. I feel like this movie, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to put my finger on it. I don't know how to best say it because one thing I, I can't stand about trailers nowadays is the overuse of uh, Gimme Shelter yep. by the Rolling Stones. I, I just, I, I can't stand it constantly always being used. But on the flip side of that, one of my favorite films from uh, the decade is Rush, which is a movie that I feel like not many people uh, ever really talk about. And this kind of gave me uh, those vibes again. So that was definitely something uh, that was good. James Mangold is a director who I feel like has always been solid. Mm -hmm. And even when he's not solid, like something like, I don't know, say Night and Day with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz or when he did uh, detour to make the Wolverine before he gave us Logan, which was incredible. Um, Walk the Line is really fantastic. 310 to Yuma is pretty fantastic. Hell, even Identity is pretty fantastic. I love Identity. <laughs> I love Identity so much. Yeah, Kate and Leopold. Uh, I'll, I'll acknowledge that, uh, Nicole. Absolutely. I think that's good, good as well. He also wrote Oliver and Company. Oh, wait, really? Go. Oh, yeah. He, no, he did incredible so i definitely think that he is someone like we were saying before is maybe on a trajectory to land somewhere in the uh oscar conversation and i'm I'm talking specifically him like right now for like best director best picture nominations this looks like a top tier one to me on paper yes but i'm i'm kind of i don't know i'm not sold i think there's the something to be said about the story about american ingenuity and you know our place in the world stage and how we can compete with the best of them and this is about a ford car being able to defeat a ferrari in 1966 see like i i hear i hear what you're saying about that i just on paper though when i hear cars like racing against each other i don't see how that screams best picture to me that's that's what i'm lie. failing to connect all with. slept on rush <laughs> rush was pretty good i think this is just going to take it a step yeah further. rush is amazing and you look at the who wrote this by the way james mangled is not a credited writer you know who is though and Butterworth. Jez Butterworth. Yeah. 
who, if people are not aware, by the way, uh, is a playwright. He's about to win a Tony tonight for The Ferryman. We don't necessarily know that. <laughs> but probably. He has uh, co-written Edge of Tomorrow, Black Mass, Spectre, Get On Up. So he's definitely done a couple of different films before. This trailer honestly bored me. Like, and it Nicole, might just be, me too. <laughs> like, and listen, I don't know if this is like an aggressively North Carolinian thing to say, but if I wanted to watch Cars, I'd just go watch NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> NASCAR. That is maybe the most North Carolinian thing you've ever said. <laughs> and, and Nicole, that, that's that's where I think the disconnect is coming with me. It's like I see. You know, two very good actors in Damon and Bale, uh, you know, and a great supporting cast too. John Bernfall, Tracy Letts, who has a really fantastic moment yeah, at the end of the trailer. Yeah. Tracy Letts as Henry Ford. I, I doubt that. I think Tracy Letts is going to continue to stay in character actor territory until something really meaty comes along. I don't think this is it, though. I, yeah, I, but I'm with you guys. Like, it bored me to hell until I saw it on a big screen and it, I thought it was thrilling. And I think that's, maybe that's the key here. Maybe that this, maybe this is one of those Oscar uh, contenders where it doesn't have social significance necessarily. Um, it's just a well, well-made solid entertaining studio movie it's the martian there you go there you go that's the comparison i was looking for i was trying to pinpoint exactly a movie to compare it to and that's the one yeah that that that's it which got a best picture nomination yeah and also starred matt damon and then and then you know what i, I don't even know because like i said maybe we're living in bizarro land nowadays you can uh bomb at the box office get middling reviews and still get eight oscar nominations if your film stars christian bale so who knows that's <laughs> true that's true <laughs> this is going to be released in imax by the way yeah and that was i saw the trailer before dark phoenix and i was like okay i get it, it also- now it also has a really oh, good didn't... poster. Not that that matters, but I remember being like, oh, I like that poster. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize he's mm. doing the cinematography. I love this guy. Uh, Beaten Papa Michael. And what has he done, Michael? Nebraska, which he got nominated for, for that gorgeous black and white cinematography. Yes. Descendants, uh, Ides of March, Monuments Men, uh, Downsizing. Uh, he's done some hit or miss stuff, but Nebraska, God, that's a gorgeous movie. All the Alexander Payne. He's worked with uh, James Mangold on a couple of his other films here. I'm seeing Identity. Yeah, Three Count to Yuma, Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's his go-to DP, actually. He works with Alexander Payne and James Mangold. All right. Anything else to add, anyone? Mm. I just need to be proven with reviews and awards to even go see this movie. I oh, have okay. zero okay. interest in cars, in racing. Oh, don't worry. You'll see it if it uh, becomes an awards contender. Oh, absolutely. Don't you worry. I will. But uh, <laughs> if it doesn't, no, thank you. I don't blame you. All right. Uh, so I'll do it for trailers uh, for this week. We have talked about uh, some big upcoming Oscar contenders and those that we did not mention. Don't worry. There will be plenty of other mentions on the weeks to come here at Next Best Picture. I hope that all of you enjoy the tony awards tonight um i also hope that all of you enjoy big little lies season two which is uh premiering tonight on hbo we're all very very excited to have that come back into our lives and this is a good time for me to also now plug uh not only our oscar prediction is going to be going up on nextbestpicture.com but we're also going to have podcasts on the emmys on big little lies on Next Best Theater for the Tony Awards, we're also going to be having our NBP Film Community Awards for 2015. We have been doing retrospective podcast reviews over the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue to do them throughout July and August, and we're going to be sending out ballots pretty soon for you, the fans, to vote on for a retrospective of 2015 in all of the NBP 
categories for the awards. So be on the lookout for all of that. Lots of great content coming on down. And, 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 maybe some new people also joining the MVP team. Dun, dun, dun. So a lot of really exciting things to look forward to over here. Before I go, I'm going to ask if anybody else has anything that they want to add. Michael, I'll start with you. I think we covered it all. Good Oscar episode. Can't wait to do more. Dan? Yes. Go see Book Smart, please. <laughs> Casey? Uh, I echo Dan's sentiments. Go see Book Smart and also Rocket Man. And yeah, go to the movies, kids. <laughs> There are good movies playing out there. You just gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta go. <laughs> go see Late Night. Go see Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yes. Please. No, don't go see. You know what? You have. You know what? You have no need to go see Dark Phoenix. It's okay. You can wait for it to premiere uh, later on on streaming. <laughs> uh, all right, Nicole. Uh, watch the Tony Awards tonight. They're going to be a good one with some great performances. And finally, Cody Derricks. Oh, finally, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, make sure you're following. Um, I'm going to be definitely live tweeting the Tonys. I'm sure my Next Best Theater crew here will also be doing that. So definitely follow us tonight. Even if you're not watching it, I'm sure we'll be entertaining in varying levels of sobriety. So give us a follow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, make sure you follow Nicole and my Amber Gray Stan accounts. We'll be watching uh, together. We will be watching. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Alrighty. Uh, and we're going to go around one more time so everybody can hear where they can find you on the internet. Michael? On Twitter at mschwartz95. Cody, where can they find you live tweeting? Yes, follow me at CodyMonster91. Dan Bear. I am on Twitter at DansonDan on film. And the ladies, Nicole Ackman. I am constantly talking about Town at NicoleAckman16. Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 146 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment. It helps for people to discover our show. If you like what you're listening to and you want other people to listen to us, leave us a comment. Rate us five stars. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon for Next Best Picture. You will get some of that exclusive podcast content that I mentioned before. Big Little Lies, Emmy's Talk, Tony's Talk, 2015 Retrospective Talk, and more. Patreon, Next Best Picture, $1 minimum a month. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time.